Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This show is all about art, craft, and creativity, and I produce it weekly in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Craft Sanity. Apologize, I'm a little bit late posting this week's episode. I'm on vacation from my day job this week, and my husband and I took the girls to the beach yesterday. It was our eighth wedding anniversary, so we just kind of chilled out instead of um, spending the day working on the podcast. So, apologize for the delay, but let's get on to business here. Countless artists and crafters make these amazing creations in the privacy of their own homes. And they don't do it for glory or fame. They just do it because they love it. Ted Anderson is one of those sort of people. He doesn't have a website or gallery space, but his artwork is no less fantastic. He creates his delightful walking sticks for fun and sells them by word of mouth. When I heard about him, I knew that I was going to want to get him on the show and share his work with all of you. So I'm very pleased this week to introduce you to Ted Anderson. He's a 64-year-old retiree from Sparta, Michigan, who carves beautiful walking sticks. When he's not doing that, he participates in primitive campouts on the weekends. So he carves walking sticks and runs around wearing buckskin on occasion. Um, And he's married to a quilter, so he um, has an appreciation for some of the fiber art stuff many of us do. Recently, I took my little show on the road to Sparta, Michigan, where I visited his basement workshop and learned a thing or two about crafting with wood. The way Ted and I met is kind of a curious tale. About a month ago, I struck up a conversation with a guy named Arlen at the local woodcraft store here in Grand Rapids. I was there to buy a knife so I could try to whittle a crochet hook. I know it's, it's a long story, but, um, and I knew my reason for entering the store was pretty unusual. But Arlen was very nice about it. He didn't judge, and he showed me to the display of knives and gave me an overview of what was available and what I might need. He also gave me a fantastic tip for speed drying twigs in the microwave. And then, of course, he told me about his friend Ted, who happens to teach carving classes at that very same store. One of Ted's bearded sticks was on display near the checkout counter, and when I saw it, I was intrigued. I told Arlen about my podcast and asked if he thought Ted would be interested in being on the show. I left the store that day with Ted's phone number, and the rest is history. I did a short interview with Ted by phone on a Friday not long ago, and then the next day I went to watch him work in his basement workshop. I took a ton of pictures when I was there, so you'll get to see those at craftsanity.com. You'll also see some pictures of his finished works. I hope you enjoy those. Okay, so without further delay. Let's uh, just get on with this interview. It's about time we meet Ted. Me calling you out of the blue is probably one of the more um, unusual things that has happened to you recently. Why, it's been very unusual. Yeah. <laughs> I, admit, uh, I don't expect to have such notoriety. You know. <laughs> and so have you talked to your friend Arlen? Oh, yes. I saw him last night. We yeah. went out, he and his wife and I went out and had some pizza together, and my wife and I. And, and we had a good visit, and I thanked him severely for this, and I said, if I get to be rich because of it, I'll uh, share it with you. (laughs) Yeah, because it was just kind of a quirky thing. I walked into uh, the Woodcraft shop two, three weeks ago, um, and I saw one of your walking sticks there, you know, and I was talking to Arlen about how I was trying to whittle a crochet hook, and he kindly, you know, gave me some some tips, 
But then uh, he said, well, the guy that does all the carving around here is, you know, Ted Anderson. So uh, he showed me, you know, some of the stuff that you do and uh, and so forth. So that's, long story short, that's how we connected here. Well, it was an interesting way to connect. I, uh, uh, I connected with them through him as well. So he and I are both retired, and uh, he uh, decided he and the woodcraft shop came together that he could find a job where he could never have to take any money home. <laughs> and he said they were looking for some people to do classes in all types of different things. And uh, he said, well, i got a friend that does walking sticks. He said, you might be interested. And so I went down and I... Uh, Took some samples down there of my work, and they thought, hey, this is cool. And, you know, it's something that a lot of people with a small workshop could work on, especially if you have a condo or something like that. You don't have a lot of space, but you you could actually work on something like this. And so I think that's kind of what their thinking was, is that it's a small space hobby for guys and gals and uh, anybody else that wants to try it. And that's how it took off. So. Well, that, that's really neat. So Arlen is the connection He's man. The connection there. He told him about it. And so if you want to get hooked up in the art and crafts world in, in West Michigan, you talk to Arlen. Talk to Arlen. You'll do it. You'll do it. No problem with him. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know whether I should thank him or not. You know. <laughs> well, I'm curious about whether do you, do you actually make money off teaching these classes, or do you spend all the money you make right in the store? Actually, no, I don't spend. Although I shouldn't say that. I just ordered a, a new lathe from them the other day, <laughs> and so that pretty much takes everything I've made there so far. <laughs> That wasn't the, I mean, the reason I did that is my wife wanted to spend something on her quilting business, uh, you know, her quilting stuff, and it was as much as the lathe, and so she feels sorry for me and says, gee, maybe you should have something of equal value. Works for you. Yeah, I said, hey, good for me. I called him right up, told him, hey, put one on hold. Well, I did that with my husband when we first got married. Um, I, I didn't have my college loan was only 2500 bucks, and I paid that off right away, and he still owed he owed more than I did, so um, to equal out the score, I said, well, you know, you came into this relationship with more debt than me, so um, let's pay off the debt, and then I'll buy a loom. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we did. That works good, doesn't it? <laughs> I, mean, I kind of figured, as how she's got two, uh, a Viking sewing machine and a FAF and a few other fancy computer-controlled things, she's still so far ahead of me that I've, I got no problem. The thing is, as I've always told her, I said a hobby should at least pay for itself, you know. Uh, so far, hers has not done that. Uh, with mine, my my uh, raw materials are cheap, and my my time is my own, and hey, I can make money on this thing. See? So you're actually making a pretty good uh, living here. Off the... I don't make a living. No. <laughs> I've, uh, I have a lot of fun doing it, and sometimes I sell them, and, and most of the times I have given many away to friends and uh, family and folks that for a 50th birthday or a wedding anniversary or something like that. I donate two at least a year to my the, uh, the conservation club that I belong to, and I gave another one just recently to another club uh, to raffle off to make money for themselves. And, and these are all, are they all walking sticks that you do? Yeah, and I put a little something on them on the date and the place and this stuff. And uh, I've made other things other than walking sticks. I've done some shorebirds and some uh, full spearing decoys and odds and ends like that. But my real love is doing these walking sticks. And uh, I have a lot of fun with them, and people seem to enjoy them. And every year around Christmas time, I have lots of folks that say, oh, gee, can we get one for so-and-so for a Christmas present? Because they're unique and... Uh, now what can I say? You just can't go buy one in the store. <laughs> and and how much do you sell these for? Well, I've gotten to the point where I have been selling them for fifty dollars a face. 
In other words, if I take a stick and somebody wants a face on it, like I normally carve, like the ones you saw down there, I sell them for $50. Mm-hmm. And if they want something more on top of that, uh, hey, you, you, you pay extra for some sort of writing slogans, whatever else that you want on it. And so I guess I've sold them any place from $50 to $250. So. Not too bad. No, no, for for this. And I think, well, hey, for what little I do of it, you know, I've always got some that are in process here in my little workshop. And uh, and then with this teaching business, it's uh, gone a little different, so I'm always working on something for them. And uh, like I say, right now I think I have orders for four or five walking sticks. So. And how long do you spend? I know it probably depends on, you know. It depends on what I'm doing with it. Uh, sometimes I get a little crazy and do a little more detail and things that I, that I wouldn't normally do. Uh, uh, Normally, the rough one in it doesn't take that long. It's a, it's a matter of seeing what you're going to do and doing it. But uh, what I find is what takes it a little longer is doing the finishing on it and the uh, oh, the little painting that I generally do and the antiquing and that stuff. And I'll have uh, somebody wants one today. It'll it'll be a couple weeks before they get it. See, so. And that's because sometimes it takes time to dry and sometimes it doesn't. It depends on if I have a stick that's ready to go and that sort of thing. So I mean, it's a uh, all these uh, ones that I do for the uh, uh, woodcraft shop, uh, you know, it doesn't take long. I work, we have a three-hour class, and we basically do a face on a walking stick in that three-hour class. And is that, do you have uh, the bark stripped off, or people do everything? They do everything. Uh, we start right for the bare stick. I use a softer wood, sassafras is what I use for that because it carves easier. And so you recommend sassafras for beginners? Well, that or a softer wood like pines and things. Uh, don't get into any real hardwoods because most people, when they're starting out, they have a difficulty understanding how to sharpen their chisels and uh, how to do this and how to do that. And hardwood is very difficult to learn on because it just is very resilient. Whereas uh, softwoods, you can make some mistakes on it and, and correct them and everything with what you have. Uh, the biggest problem is is getting people to understand their tools as good as anything else. So. But that's what we've done mostly in these classes is uh, we have a little business showing them out how to uh, sharpen their tools and uh, then we start in and I demonstrate uh, how to start how to start the stick and peel whatever you want to peel off from it and then start with the eyes and the nose and so on and rough those in and then they go ahead and do it and I help each one of them with it and then we go to the next part of it until we get it complete. I actually have a stick here that shows the difference the different progression in putting it together and they kind of gives them a little something to go by but most generally with this classes we've had have uh, gone very well and people end up with a walking stick they seem to be somewhat proud of oh that's cool and and do you need to i guess the concern i have before i uh you know come and see you tomorrow is i can't draw or think i mean it's my drawing's pretty pretty horrible do you have to be able to draw to, to to do these nice carving? I don't carving? draw anything when I start. Most of them I don't start that way. I just show them where we start and how we go. Drawing, I'm not an artist myself when it gets right down to it. I can't draw anything worth a darn. But uh, when you start in, I show you where to start. And actually, you let whatever. I always look at it. I say, well, I let whatever's in the stick come out. I don't really start with a big plan at times. So you don't say, okay, this is going to be my Michael Jackson stick or Princess yeah, Diana. <laughs> done that for certain people that want something special. And, and you can do that? You can re- recreate someone's likeness on a stick? Well, if you asked me to do one that looked like uh, President Bush, I'd probably have a little trouble with it. I'm not really good at ears and things of that nature. <laughs> 
let me tell you, it's a matter that uh, I like to do whatever's in there, whatever comes out. I've done pirates. I've done you name it. I've, I've got guys with one eye and, uh, you know, eye patches and scars and whatever else. And uh, I've had them with uh, their mouth open showing their teeth and some with, uh, you know, very somber looks on their face. And, uh, I mean, it's a matter that I just see what's going on and I do it that way. So you don't plan anything out. You just sit down and start carving. Start down, sit down and carve a stick. Well, that's kind of, uh, that, that must be more fun. Well, because, it is, absolutely. Because I mean, then you, you don't know to, how it's going to end. When you have to do something, then it's work. Right. And uh, this isn't work for me. This is kind of an enjoyment thing I do. And I usually go out in the wintertime up to my uh, conservation club where I'm, I'm president of the Howard City Conservation Club. And I go up there in the winter and I cut a lot of sticks, mainly because there's so many of them in the underbrush that nobody misses them. And then I donate some to them any year, every year anyway. So. So when you say you cut a lot of sticks, how many sticks are we talking? Oh, I'll probably cut 50 to 60 sticks. Okay. And then I bring them home, and I lay them up, and I let them dry for a year, and then I go ahead and start working on them. Where do you put them to let them dry? Oh, in my garage. Yeah. Up overhead in the garage, wherever it stays dry without getting any moisture on them to speak of. And within a year time, they're dried out nice enough that when you carve them, they're hard, and they don't... Uh, they don't split. If you start out with a wet stick or a fresh stick, it, uh, as soon as you carve a face on it, within the next day it'll start showing cracks in it. And you don't want to do that. You want them to dry and nice when they go. So Now, Arlen gave me that whole tip, which I guess I'll have to say, um, if people that follow this advice and set their house on fire, you and I are not accountable, neither is Arlen, but um, <laughs> he, when he heard that I was going to go out and, and try to carve it, you know, he asked me where I was getting the wood for my crochet hook. Yeah. And he was very kind about it, and I know it was an absurd thing. I went in there and told him what I was going to do. And, um, <laughs> and well, Arlen tends to be able to look through those. Oh, he was very, very kind. And I, I said, yeah, I'm going to make a crochet hook. And he said, okay, well, what kind of, where, where are you getting your wood? And I said, well, yeah, I got this branch that I need to cut off a tree outside uh, my house. I was going to just use that. <laughs> and he, and he, he kind of stopped me and said, well, you know, you really need to let that, you know, dry out for a year. And I'm thinking, I'm on vacation this week. I'm not waiting a year. I mean, I'm completely impatient. So he told me to wrap, you know, cut the sticks small enough, you know, to fit in the microwave and just, you know, dry them out for a couple of minutes or two. It worked fine. Um, I can see where it could go completely awry, though. If you walk away and you have it in there too long, um, you could well, easily... Yeah, it's just like uh, your, your, your roast beef sandwich you put a day <laughs> But, I mean, is that something that, um, it sounds like you, the ideal condition, though, is if you cut sticks, you know, in the best time, you said you do it during the winter time. I do it in the winter because then the sap is down in the tree, in the, in the tree a little bit, and uh, and it's not quite, the wood isn't so moist. In other words, in the springtime, like now, when everything is growing and the leaves are coming on, it's drawing, it's drawing moisture from the ground faster than it does during this dormant stage, and so it's a lot better to cut them then. I've, I've cut them at every time of the year, but if I'm going to cut them to save them and, and, and work on them later, I generally do it in the wintertime. So if you cut a stick, um, now what about a stick that you find in the, if you're walking through the woods and you find some sticks on the ground? As long as it's dry and it's hard and it isn't getting so it's dusty, you know, punky, I guess is the word I would use for it. Uh, yeah, as long as it's dry or it's a dead limb on a tree, then you're in fine shape, you know. It, that wouldn't be a big problem. And especially, again, too, I mean, sometimes I carve the sassafras when it's a little wet. 
and it gets cracks here and there, but that sometimes just adds a little something to the stick itself, you know. I mean, it depends on what you want it to look like. I see. Uh, I had a fellow that brought me a stick that had come from a, uh, uh, he wanted a walking stick, really bad, but he said, I want to furnish the stick. And he said, you can bring me anything you want. He brought me a really nice piece of old, old lilac bush. And it had a, had a dead spot in it, and uh, it was cracked. And I thought, oh, gee, I'm going to have a hard time with this. But as it was, I made a grotesque out of the thing, and it turned out beautiful. And I had some old uh, uh, mammoth ivory, something you know from that I'd found when we were out in Bar Harbor, doing some looking around. I'd bought it in the mm-hmm. store, and I made teeth out of this. And when you got into the wood, I mean, the wood itself was purple and beautiful inside. It was really pretty stuff. But it was full of cracks and everything, but when it turned out, it was absolutely a gorgeous-looking stick. He loved it like you couldn't believe. I thought, well, hey. Well, you made his day. and Made his day, and I was pleased with the outcome of it. Yeah, and no, when you say you made a grotesque out of it, the dead part, what do you mean by that? It was a weird-looking face. I mean, okay, kind of like a... It was a... It was almost like a monster face on it. It had, it had teeth that were made out of... Uh, out of ivory, you know. Wow. It was a strange-looking thing. How did you affix the ivory? Oh, I drilled in there after I got the mouth made, and I drilled in it, and then I uh, carved the ivory just a little bit and, and used epoxy and put the teeth in with that, you know, and they wow. were inside the mouth far enough so that it actually didn't, uh, if you bumped it on something, you wouldn't break it, you know. It okay. It turned out really kind of neat. I think I had two teeth on the top and three on the bottom. <laughs> it was a weird-looking face, but it turned out gorgeous. He said, oh, man, this is great, you know. Well, how many of these things do you think you've made now? Oh, man. I've been making walking sticks since I was in high school, I guess. What, do you remember the first stick you made? Uh, I still have it. Yeah, you have to show it tomorrow. Nobody wanted it. Well, what, where, where's you, what was the story behind that? What was the first time you made a walking stick? Why did you do it? Uh, I don't know. I guess uh, I was just, I've always carved and whittled on stuff all my life. I remember as a little kid, I, we used to go to a place up on uh, the Muskegon River in camp, my family did, when I was probably eight, nine years old. And uh, I still remember there was an old caretaker up there at the Oxbow Park. And uh, we would go up there, and this old caretaker sat there and whittled in front of his little caretaker's shack. And uh, I'd go sit there and watch him, you know, and he was whittling a stick or he'd whittle a fish or something, you know. And uh, and they kind of showed me a little bit about it, and I uh, kind of was interested. And so over the years, every time I would get a jackknife that I could keep sharp, I would be whittling on something, and I'd whittle out knives and swords and odds and ends that kids like, you know, and uh, I kind of got from that, and then as time went on, you think, well, maybe I can do something a little different, and you'd put ornaments on the hilts and handles of these things, and then, you know, you get a little better. It's just like anything, if you do it long enough, you're either going to improve or you give it up. And then uh, I've gone to Canada fishing from back in the early 80s with a bunch of guys and their sons. And uh, we'd go up there and fish. And about the middle of the week, I decided I found a really interesting piece of cedar that had floated up there. And it was dry on the, on the rocks. And I took that, and with my hatchet and my knives, I carved a big fish. And we gave that for the fishing trophy for the guy that got the biggest one. Well, wow. after that, every year I was obligated to carve the fishing trophy, and that went on for another 10 or 15 years. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, you know, one thing leads to another, and you just keep doing it. And then, uh, But the walking stick thing I've always kind of enjoyed, and I remember I made one some years ago, and uh, somebody liked it, and I uh, gave it to him. I'd always I'd carved an early one, which, say, which I have here. Just a face on it, and uh, and one thing has led to another. And since then, I've probably got 
200 walking sticks out there someplace. I've got them out west, people who've got them. I've got them that are on the Appalachian Trail. That I've got these two or three people having them out there that they walk with. Right now I've got two that I'm in the making for a man and his wife that are big into hiking and wanted some nice sticks. And so I'm making two for them. And, uh, you know, it's just snowballs. You uh, don't need to advertise it. Well, it sounds like it's just really fun, too, to hear the stories of, you know, where people are going to go and who oh, yeah. they're for and all that. I had a friend, like someone, a friend of mine that was walking the Appalachian Trail, and he had been doing it over the years, and he got into a problem out there, and the, and they have people on the Appalachian Trail, apparently, that walk it continually, you know, to help people out that are, right. that are I don't know if they're hired or if they're volunteers or whatever it was, but this gentleman helped him out. His back was getting bad, and he had an awful hard time. He got out to the road, and he decided to call it quits, and he didn't have a vehicle there. And this fellow took him from wherever it was, clear back to Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. To the airport. And he wouldn't take anything for it. And uh, my friend uh, said... I noticed you've admired this walking stick I've had for quite some time. He said, "Would would you accept that as a as a as a, as a gift?" This old man, the guy said, "Oh, I'd love to have it." And uh, he says, "I'll use it all the time." So that's out there yet. And I somebody said, "Well, gee, don't you feel bad that you know he actually gave your walking stick away?" I said, "You know, I said when somebody gives away something that he relishes and and, and enjoys, I said to me that's a bigger honor than giving it to him and having him say thank you for it." Right. 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 So it's been a thing like that. Uh, like I say, I make a couple of them every year for our our conservation club. And we have a couple of big uh, shoots and camps up there every year, and we raffle them off. I think the first year I had two two walking sticks, and we raffle them off. They went for someplace around seven hundred dollars. That's awesome. Which was kind of nice, but I had some couple of good salespeople too. So. <laughs> <laughs> have you? Have you? Are you from West Michigan? I've lived here in Sparta area all my life. Okay. Yeah. So. Were you, you probably were you born at in Grand Rapids, or were you born in? I was born in Grand Rapids. Yeah, the old St. Mary's Hospital. Okay, and uh, so you went to Sparta High School. Sparta High School. Yeah. What did you do after? What did you do after high school? Well, I went to Davenport Institute, what it was called in those days. It's now Davenport College and whatever else it is. Uh, yeah, Davenport University now. Yep, I went there for uh, a two-year class in uh, in uh, was a business administration. Okay. And I ended up going to work for Old Kent Bank, which is now Fifth Third, I expect, or what's yep, fifth third. of it anyway. Mm-hmm. And I worked there for a couple of years and decided that banking wasn't for me, and I've uh, bounced around a little bit, and I became a salesman, and I've been selling something for oh, the last 30 years, generally working with foundries and, uh, and things of that nature. So what do you sell? Uh, sold castings and stampings and forgings and things and traveled over the eastern half of the United States. Okay. Did you work for a local company here? Actually, I did for quite a while. I worked for what was Muskegon Pistonry at one time. It's now Federal Mogul. Okay. Uh, I worked for them for 16 years, and then I went on as an independent rep, as uh, working for myself and representing other companies. I still have a foundry down in southern Michigan that I represent a little bit, but uh, other than that, I'm basically retired. Well, congratulations. I think it's a great thing, yes. Yeah, I think, I think you seem to be enjoying it, and uh, it gives you plenty of time to, to do some carving whenever you want. Well, I carve, and I still do a lot of primitive uh, camping and shooting and things of that nature, which, of course, is a real craft-oriented hobby as well, because you make your own clothes and you make your own knives and guns and tomahawks and things of this nature. So, so are you... Lots of interesting things. Well, I'm interested in that, too. So it sounds like on weekends, a lot of times, you're kind of running through the woods um, with some uh, other folks 
acting very, you know, primitive uh, conditions. Yeah, so you, it's a where you spend a lot of money to look poor. <laughs> and, uh, you uh, you go out in the wear your buckskin clothes and uh, well, actually, our the group that I hang out with in this, uh, we try to represent the Eastern Lone Hunter, which would have taken place probably back around the Revolutionary French and Indian War, Revolutionary War period. And so, when we get together and have a big camp out, it's kind of of that period. We work with uh, you know, no nothing that you'd have to hide. In other words, you don't carry plastic around with you and you don't do anything like that except <laughs> live in that period wherever you happen to be. So do you, what, what do you do for food? Well, I mean, actually, we kind of weed a little bit of whatever we can get at the grocery store. <laughs> so you're no, not... It's a matter of some things you just can't do. When they, you can't go out and shoot the local guy's bear because uh, it's not the right season. But, uh, no, we do uh, we do all our cooking and open fires and things of this nature. In fact, is last weekend, I told you I had gone to one of these and mm-hmm. we had... Uh, Oh, there was, we had uh, wild hog, and we had uh, uh, some bear meat, and we had some uh, buffalo and a few other things that everybody brought, and uh, we uh, cooked it all outside and had a good time with it. So it, uh, so your friends that are in this group, what is the group called? Well, actually, what it is, it's we just, uh, we're called the Brothers of the Wind, the group that I go with here, and that's a group of probably around 200 people. They're both Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio, and they get together about quarterly for a get-together like this. We have so are there, are there women in the group, too? There are. Uh, generally, it's a guy thing. On the weekends, we have family camping in the summertime where the women and children and stuff go to. Okay, but normally that's why it's normally called... Normally, it's a bunch of guys that get out and do this sort of thing. You know? Okay. And uh, most women wouldn't care a lot about it anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not that we paste ourselves all over with bear grease to keep the mosquitoes off, but you know it's a uh, sleeping out in the middle of the rain and the wind and the stuff in little lean-tos and things of this nature doesn't sometimes fit the bill. Now, do you do your wood carving when you're out on a camp out with your friends? Uh, generally, no, but I usually have some. I think uh, as a result, most of the, a lot of the people that I do this with have won these sticks at one place or another. You know, because they've been around a long time with them and. I think there's quite a few of these folks. I mean, they hang them on the front of their lodges and stuff. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. But I have also, as a result of that, I had people that have placed orders with me for some of them, and uh, so I do that, or I make them for prizes and stuff. I see. Right so. after I had talked to you, a lady called me up and said, "I need one of these things. Can I get one for my Can I get one for my husband?" And I said, "What?" She said, "Well, his birthday is next Wednesday." Oh, goodness. And I said, I don't really think that we can do this that quickly. But if you want to go down to the woodcraft shop, I said, and purchase one of those that's down there, you can do that, and I'll bring another one down. Oh, my goodness. I'm going, that's where I saw it. I need to do that. So she went down and bought a walking stick. That, I think it was the day after I talked to you. <laughs> wow. It's probably the one I saw in there. Yeah. One of the ones that you saw that were there. Yeah, because it had a nice one right by the counter. So I have another one here that I finished some time ago that I've been carrying around myself. I thought, well, I have to take that down there, I guess. But. So do you use a walking stick yourself? Oh, I carry one around from time to time. Generally, it's one of my old ones that I made a long, long time ago. I, I don't have many around because when I make them, somebody gets them, you know. Yeah. But I have a few here. And then I say I'm working on some, which will make it interesting, I think, when you want to come and take a look at them. And, and do you find that most people use them as actual walking sticks? I mean, obviously, there's some on the oh, Appalachian yeah. Trail, but do some just use them as decorations? Or? Oh, a lot of them use them as decorations, set them next to their fireplace or something like that, you know. But I have people that use them all the time, too. And the, when they walk, they take them off and grab their walking stick, and away they go. 
And walking sticks, I don't know what you know about the history of walking sticks, but walking sticks are not necess- they're not for people that need help walking. You know, these No, that would be more canes and things, and I've made a number of those as well, you know, but uh, a walking stick is kind of a thing that, you know, goes back, uh, I'm sure, back into medieval history, you know. People carried a staff just to, because it was not only a thing to aid you in walking over rough ground, but it was also used as a weapon in many cases, and uh, uh, to whatever need, you know, the... And that's why they made them, you know, generally uh, they were as long as five and six feet tall in those days and quite heavy ones. Mine don't tend to be quite that big around or that tall, but they're mainly, uh, you know, uh, just something that people carry to walk with. I know we have people here. I see a fellow that walks alongside the highway here out here frequently, and he's got a walking stick of some sort that he carries with him. Not only does he use it once in a while, but generally just carries it. And I think, well, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I have one I had I made for a waiting staff. I've been a fly fisherman for years, so I made a really nice waiting staff, and uh, that's one I carry whenever I go walking. I generally take that along with me. So, for when you're fly fishing, you're actually in the water, and yeah, I use it uh, when you get into some heavy water. Uh, when it's you know the the uh, bottom is kind of uh, irregular, and you're wading in the water is quite swift. You want to have something that can kind of hold you up if you start to stumble or something. Mm-hmm. With this one, I actually uh, drilled a half-inch hole in the bottom of it and filled it with lead so that it would hold itself down in the water so that if I start to go down in the river, I can quit grabbing this right down there where I can use it. So, But like I say, they're used by a lot of people, and some people just have them for decorations. And for your classes, who shows up to, to take these classes? Is it you know men, women, children? Well, I was surprised. Uh, my first class had seven students. And over half of them were women. Really? Which was surprising to me. I thought, gee, you know, this is, for me, has always been kind of a guy thing. I never really thought of it any other way. But the way it looks, uh, there's a lot of ladies that are interested in this sort of thing. And, again, it's something you can do in in a space, limited space. You don't have to have a complete workshop. All you have to have is a few... A few hand tools and a, something that you can clamp your work in, and gee, you're in business. You mm-hmm. know? <laughs> and really, uh, I'm, some of the, and some of the gals have done much better stuff than some of the guys have done. Which, uh, man, this is really great. So, and then I've even had uh, the last class I had had a young fellow about twelve years old in it, and he worked right at it too. So, uh, it's not just for. One sort, of, one sort of person. It's uh, anybody that wants to do it can do it. Well, and just think of all the chicks you could have pick, picked up as a oh, young man geez, with your whittling cool. skills. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but about the time they cut their finger or something like that, they look at me and say, you didn't tell me this would hurt. You know? Yeah, yeah, and let's talk about safety for a second, too, because I think I, I did not, um, I noticed for when you're at, you, you tell people in the requ- the requirements to the class is a safety glove. I don't even know what a safety glove is for whittling. What, what does that look like? Well, a safety glove is a woven glove made out of a Kelvar material, like like bulletproof vest. Okay. And they've been around a long time. Actually, I've I've had one for for when I go to Canada and clean fish because fish tend to bite and everything else, and your knife is likely to slip and all that sort of thing. And so, I've used one there for a long time. And I think I'm not sure which came first, as, as a carving aid or a safety aid or as a you know a fish cleaning tool. But they're uh, handy, and you put them on the hand you're not holding your knife in as you're holding your work in. And a lot of people, you know, when they're making something that's close to their fingers, they tend to like to have something that's going to protect them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be honest with you, don't use one. 
I just never have, and I've got the scars to prove it. <laughs> Every now and then I stick a nice sharp chisel in the end of my finger. Which, oh, no, but I carry Band-Aids in my wallet all the time, though. <laughs> but uh, they're probably for somebody that is just starting out and not really understanding how to hold your tools and how you how you use them to support your work and this sort of thing, probably ought to have all the help they can get to keep themselves safe. So you do recommend it, and do they sell that at any store? They sell them there. You can buy them at, uh, why, you can buy these fish cleaning gloves, which are basically the same thing. At, so any hardware store? Uh, any uh, hardware store, Walmart, uh, Meyer store, whatever. You know, they They're everywhere. In the sporting goods department. And people know what that means, if you say you're looking for a safety glove for carving? Yeah, they're mainly, uh, they're a woven glove. They're kind of, they're, they're heavier than a regular glove, of course, because they've got some sort of material that's... Stops the knife. Stops the knife or the chisel. And, uh, you know, pretty easy to find. It's like also another thing that I bring to the classes that I show these folks is uh, uh, sanding is important. You've got to sand these things down when you get done. Otherwise, they're kind of fuzzy where your knife slips here and there. and that. So I, so I end up, uh, I have a tool here that I use in a drill press that I sand them with. But uh, the majority of the time you do by hand, especially as you're carving along. You say, oh, i got to smooth this area out so I can see what's happening here. And so you smooth it. Well, sandpaper is very nice to have, but also if you go to the, uh, you get these salon boards. I don't know if you probably know what they are. They're, they're emery boards that women and guys use to trim their fingernails with. Mm-hmm. They're the greatest things there ever were for sanding small areas. <clears throat> so I tell them, hey, gals, go to, gals and guys, go to the local Walmart here in the, uh, the cosmetic nail department and get yourself a couple of packages of these because they're great. And so we use those for lots of things. I see. Okay, so you actually like that better than sandpaper, you said. Oh yeah, it's easy. They're they're flexible yet. They're they're they've got a little resilience to them, and they, they hold up great. I've been using my wife introduced me to that. She she'd throw one away because the edges of it were worn out, and they said, "What are you gonna do with that? Oh, take it if you want." It. So I'd start using those, sanding my sticks, and carvings are great on any kind of carving for that. <laughs> yeah. What do you say? Little tricks like that are always helpful. Yeah, well, that's it. Sounds really. And then the safety glasses. Do you wear safety glasses when I you wear? I just wear glasses anyway. So. Okay, so you have lenses there. But uh, I don't find that there's. I have a big reason to do it, mainly because I don't get that close to my eyes. But uh, safety glasses are always good, no matter what you do, especially if you're using Dremel tools and things of that nature. I I use very little electric tools, except one. I have a reciprocating carver that I use to carve beards and things that are not real complex with that require long distances of going with your chisel. Mm-hmm. And uh, But Dremel tools and things tend to throw dust and dirt, and if you're going to carve with those or a Fordham, which is a bigger bigger Dremel tool, if you will, yeah, I would recommend safety glasses and anything like that that works. Sometimes, you, and if that's the case, you probably should have a, a dust mask as well, especially when you get to sanding, because... Uh, some of these woods, and again, that's one reason I've got a kind of a scratchy throat, is some of these woods throw off a, a dust that, if it gets in your system, it kind of causes a little grief to your sinuses. Mm, okay. So I generally uh, uh, wear a, a safety dust mask and things when I'm sanding these things, too. Yeah, well, you've learned you know, from years of practice, it sounds like, what you can do to just make the experience the most enjoyable and less uh, oh, debilitating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really, because, you know, otherwise... Uh, I would go down. I, I use a lot of horn beam, for instance, which is a uh, <clears throat> up here in Michigan. They call it Michigan ironwood, and it's a hard, very, very hard wood. And the dust comes off it is very fine. 
And I can stand on that for an evening and, you know, work on a stick. And the next thing you know, the next morning, I can feel the itching in my sinuses. And if I haven't worn my dust mask, which sometimes I don't do because I, you know, got things going that I don't want a monkey with one. And I wish I had had because the next day or two of my sinuses are kicking up. So dust and things are something kind of important to kind of keep an eye on. Well, I think it's just probably just goes uh, without saying that most times if you're working on a project and a lot of times, you know, I know folks like, I'm kind of like you, sometimes I'll be all engaged in what I'm doing and don't want to stop to take the safety precaution. Yep. And then if you're, you know, find yourself strapping a, you know, putting a Band-Aid on and <laughs> later on because you, you skipped a step, um, it's, it's probably a better idea just to do what we're supposed to do, take those precautions. Oh, absolutely. And um, again, like I say, I don't do it as much as I should because, uh, you know, you get involved and you're eager to finish this and you're right at a job and you think, oh, i got to go over and sand on this a little bit. You don't want to stop and lay it down because right in your mind you have what you're going to do and you don't want to lose it. Right. Uh, so many times these things uh, that I'm working on here come as a spur of the moment and I say, oh, maybe I can do this with that. And you go ahead and do it and you don't really, you don't really pay attention to the safety. But I would say that's very important for people to do. Well, I'm interested in, in what you consider when you finish, you're working on these beautiful walking sticks and, you know, people scramble for them. You know, a woman calls you frantically because she wants to get one for her husband's birthday or, you know, someone just wants you, for whatever reason, they want one of these sticks. Do you consider it art when you're done? Like, do you think that these sticks you make are artistic and, or do you think it's more of a craft? Yeah, I guess I look at them as an artistic thing. Uh, not that I did always. Because uh, I, you know, I made them. I made some pretty crude stuff. I put a lot of walking sticks in the fireplace, you know, uh, because you don't always. It doesn't always come out what you think it ought to come out like. Yeah. <laughs> and there's been times I've carved along and carved the nose right off and said, "Uh oh, what do you do here?" So then you go and get the glue bottle out and you glue a new nose on him and start over again. So, but no, I think when I get done, I try to make them more of a little piece of artwork than than anything else because that's why I paint them. I've I've gone from where I never put a ounce of paint on anything, so. Then I go to where I, I put a little a little paint in them and I rub it off with my thumb and I make them more of a uh, so they look old uh, an antiquing effect to it. I I take a, a dark stain and I stain it and I wipe it all off so all the creases and cracks got dark stain in them and then, and then you know that's after I painted them and then I sand them and so I knock put highlights on. I mean I spend quite a lot of time making them actually look the way I want them to look. It's uh, not just the carving, it's actually the finishing of it as well. So. And then the stain, What do you, is there another, do you take another step to kind of seal everything after? When I get all done with it, I use a uh, an outdoor polyurethane uh, varnish on them, actually, is what I do. I spray it on or I paint it on. It depends on what I happen to have here. I use a satin finish because I don't care for the shininess of it. That kind of takes away from the antique effect of these sticks. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that's... Uh, you always do that because people want to use things outdoors. They want to use them as a waiting staff. They want to use them one way or another. Uh, hey, you really need to have it so people can do that with it. So, And it looks nice when you get all done. And, and then after I get all done, I take a paper grocery sack, and I tear a big hunk off from it, which makes one of the finest, fine, fine sandpapers you ever saw in your life. And I go over them with that and polish them up with a piece of grocery sack. So it's just a brown paper bag? Yep. Just a brown paper bag, and you use that as your finishing touch sandpaper. Sandpaper. How did you learn? How did you figure that trick out? 
oh, I had a fellow told me, an old woodworker, I said, what are you doing with that? He said, oh, he said, you said, you don't have to spend a lot of money to get sandpaper that'll finish the thing off. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, look at it. And when he got done with it, it was just a beautiful satiny feel to it as you ever saw. And so I use that pretty much on the finishing of all my sticks now. Wow. Well, that's great. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I think he did it mostly for uh, economic sake. You know, you didn't want to spend money on sandpaper. but uh, Well, especially you have it in your cupboard anyway. You might yeah, as well. Why not? here all the time. You know, so, so when they say, you want paper or plastic, I don't always say plastic. <laughs> 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 well, I think I'm going to say paper now a little more, too. Well, yeah. I mean, it's great stuff. Well, I'm curious about how you part with these. When you spend so much time and, you, and effort... On making these sticks, I mean, do you sometimes have a hard time giving one away if someone orders it, um, and they maybe even bring you the stick, and you really like how it turns out, but you have to give it to the person because they either ordered it or, you know. Well, there's sometimes you do, you know, but, you know, eventually you get to the point where you say, well, if I want one like it, I can make another one just like that, you know. (laughs) But, no, I have some that I have given away or sold that I looked at, and I thought, oh, man, the one I gave to the... uh, the Grand Valley Cap and Ball Gun Club down there in uh, Door, Michigan here about a, about a month ago I gave them one. I really hadn't intended to do that. But they were they were going to run a raffle to buy a new furnace and a few things, and I thought, well, yeah, what the heck, I might as well donate to these guys. And I did. And it was one I had a hard time giving away because I kind of made it for myself, you know. And it was a, it was, it was a very nice stick. It had a guy on the front of it with a big, big smile, big toothy smile. I had a big gold tooth right in the front there. And stood <laughs> out. And, uh, and then the top of it was the, uh, actually the root ball from the, uh, the, the little tree that I had dug out, and I sometimes do that because you can find up the, the end that's in under the ground has got some really neat shapes to them. Oh, cool. And I had taken that down on a card with a big acorn on it. And this acorn is, and I stained them and painted them and worked on it and rubbed it off so it was just a hint of color here and there. And it had a root that had stuck out the side of it that I cut off that actually I made a little face of a worm that stuck out from the side of this thing and he was sticking his head out from this uh, this acorn. Oh, that's <laughs> I really cool. I liked it. It was cool. But I thought, well, you know, they really appreciated it and I gave it to them and you think, you know, gee, it's, it really feels good when somebody wins one of these things and they spend their money to go ahead and try to win it or they spend their money to buy it from you or they really appreciate it when you give it to them for a birthday or an anniversary or a retirement gift and I, I it makes me feel better to give it to somebody who's ever did sell it so what can I say I yeah I, I kind of like some of them I've got so it one. sounds like you're a salesman but not when it comes to your oh, no. your sticks <laughs> I've always believe it. I mean, you don't sell stuff to friends what can yeah I yeah well especially it's just the stuff that it sounds like you enjoy the process oh, almost like as much process, as the finished I mean, result Certainly not in it to make any money. Now, if I wanted to, I'd have my own website. I'd have a few other things, and I'd be making these things right and left. But all of a sudden, it becomes a uh, uh, work as opposed to a hobby. Right. And it sounds like you want to just keep it a uh, fun hobby. Yeah, I don't want to get big at this sort of thing. That would take the fun out of it. I mean, I've done it for years, and I've enjoyed I like it because it's, it's. I've improved at it. I mean, to be absolutely truthful, I've improved at it, and I've gotten better at it, and I expect to continue to do so. I always sign my work, and I have a little, uh, I have a little uh, toolmaker's punch. There's a canoe with a little paddle on either side of it that I use. I always stamp in the end of my walking stick, so it's, you know, somebody will know these a hundred years from now as to who made them. That's awesome. 
Well, that's always the way I do it. And everybody says, so did you sign this? I mean, I, I made a little box uh, I took up to the uh, this camp out I had last weekend because we have blanket prizes. Everybody puts a $10 prize on a blanket, and then you go out and you shoot your targets, and whoever wins gets the first choice, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I made a really nice little box out of some 100-year-old pine. And the guy that won that box, he brought it to me and he says, will you sign this thing? <laughs> <laughs> I said, what for? I said, it's just a darn box, you know. <clears throat> but he said, oh, no, no. And I said, I'd like to know where it came from. And I said, well, no problem. So I scratched my name on it with my jackknife. It <laughs> went from there. But, yeah, I like to I like to do that. I mean, I've gotten to the point where I'm proud enough of my work that I'm certainly willing to put my name on it. So now that you have had a chance to hear a little bit about Ted and what he's all about, we're going to head up north to Ted's basement workshop that is located in his Sparta home. He was kind enough to show me how he carved spaces on sticks when I was there. And he starts by first clearing the bark. And I was thinking he would clear the entire stick, you know, no bark at all. But the only part he shaves off is the part of the bark where he wants to carve the face. Then he roughs out the eyes and the nose and the mouth. It was neat to see how he doesn't sketch anything in advance and he just starts carving. And it really is kind of cool to see what kind of face comes out of there because... He doesn't really seem to have any kind of agenda or plan at the beginning. He just kind of goes with it. He let me do a little carving, too. But in the end, I focused on recording and let Ted do his thing. Here are the highlights of my visit to his workshop. I start out with a with a little spoke shave like this. And then just uh, shave some of the bark off, get down to down to wood. Now if we want to make teeth on this guy, I'll use it for that. I'll make the separation between his upper and lower teeth. And then start in by separating his teeth. Like so. I see. Okay. And that's kind of what I use And that tool, what is that tool called again? Well, this is a reciprocating chisel. Okay. And there's different heads that go on it, but I use this little V-tool, which is the same thing as that, actually. I see. I can do the same thing with this. It's slower. But this just gives you... This makes it go faster. Yeah. And if I'm teaching a class, I don't use this. I just do it with the hand I tools. see. The, now, do the, you think there's any kind of... Does that um, take away from the art form at all to use tool? I mean, because I'm Well, some people say it is. I mean, honestly, I'm not big into, into these kind of tools here except for certain things that I use them for. But as far as... I look at people that carve with electricity as... I shouldn't say it. I look at him as somewhat less of an artist than the other. Right. But what can I say? You know, Michelangelo carved with chisels and something else, too. And at that time, that was the modern technology. Right. So right. I guess I I use these. It's not what you're using. It's not what the tool you're using. It's what you're bringing to putting it. to it, you know, that makes it what it is. Oh, you know what? I'm going to forget before I got to bring this up while I think of it. You made the... A face of the devil at one point. Yes, I did. When I, was uh, that? How long ago was oh, that? Oh, that's been a couple of years ago. I was carving something. I don't know what it was, but I decided I don't have to do a devil's face, and I did. And I, I made it so evil looking that it almost scared me. I, I threw it. I cut it in half and threw it in the fire. Wow! And how far <laughs> in the, into the process were you? Oh, I had the face all done. I hadn't painted it or anything yet, but I had the face done and the eyes in and the teeth in and the grimace on its face that was just absolutely embodied evil. Yeah. And I, it, I'll be honest with you, I just, not that I'm 
overly crazy of the devil by any means or anything, but I mean, it just, I mean, it bothered me. Yeah. I threw it away. I got yeah. rid of it. Did you show it to anybody? Uh, no. No, just no, I just got rid of it? I just got rid of it. I thought, I don't want this to influence anybody, <laughs> whether it ever would or not, but it yeah. did me, you know, it bothered me to think that I could actually carve something that had that much personality to it. Yeah. Evil personality. And did you just burn it up that same day? Well, I had a little shop in, out in the yard, you know, and I had a, well, I had a, a wood stove in it, and I thought, best thing I can do with this thing is to throw it away, and so I sawed it in half and stuffed it in the fire. Well, so you actually <laughs> burned the devil up I then. burned the devil up. And, uh, and I don't know why, it just affected me funny. At the yeah. I did, I thought, Have you had strong reactions good. to anything else that you created like that? Oh, not really, no. But, you know, you you do burn up a few of your sticks from time to time just because they're not good. Mm -hmm. And, and that one was almost... That was a really, it was really a, it was a beautiful piece. I mean, I looked at it, I thought, man, this is really something. But, I mean, it's it was bad. Yeah, you just didn't want to have it was, that. Be it was scary. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, I don't have any big fixation on religion and all this, yeah. but I mean, it would. Would you consider yourself a religious man? Or oh well, yeah. I mean, I'm I've gone to church, member of the churches, yeah. and all this stuff, and I. But I just never been vocal about it, you right, know. But right. this was something I looked at. Said, my God, that, so that would have really made it scared some people. Go that would have scared your, people. Your you know? walking stick. Oh yeah. man, I mean, it would have. They looked at me and said. What are you trying to prove here? You know? yeah. yeah. So I didn't. Well, think. that's that's interesting. How sometimes what we create totally surprises us. Well, you know, I really didn't intend to start out and do that. It's just right. once I got going on this face, that was what was coming out of it. You yeah. know, and I thought. So I kept on, and I pursued, and I persevered, and I had the teeth and the little fangs on either side here, and the little horns on the head, and the eyes were uh, almond shaped and shaped in this direction. I mean, it was a. When I got done with it, it was a scary piece of work. Yeah. Well, so it sounds like most of the other faces here. Uh, I don't see anything that scares no, me. No, I mean, I'm into happy stuff. You know, yeah. once in a while I'll give one that feels kind of calm, you know. But uh, this one that I was doing here, I don't know just how to say I did a little a different effect on the eye. This one's kind of a sleepy look to him, mm -hmm. you know. And then others, well, this guy's going to have a big grin, and he's going to have teeth, and he's going to have a mustache that curls around like this. And, and you know that already. You well, know I know because that's the way it's going. See? Oh, I see. So okay. I kind of know now where I'm going to go with this thing. Okay. But when I get started, I seldom do. So what happened at your first class? Well, I mean, I, I thought this was a manly art. That's why I took off with it, you know, and I thought, hey, gosh, I got all these nice sticks and these knives and stuff. Men handle knives, you know. Right. Women only don't know how to sharpen knives. Heavens no. There isn't a kitchen knife in the world that's... Sharp. <laughs> but uh, so I thought, geez, I had my first class, and I think I had seven people. Four of them were women. What can yeah. I say? I thought, okay. And I said, girls, look, this is a nice thing. Women enjoy these hobbies, but, I mean, you don't have the wrist strength, perhaps. And they don't, but you find that they find ways to make it work for them. So you, know? you actually told the root and fellow mostly women that they didn't have the strength. Well, I didn't, I didn't say so that. that could be dangerous. I didn't say enough. strength as a, as a matter of, you know, that, there were, just that they don't have the strength in their hands that okay. men generally have. And because this does take a fair amount of strength in you, especially when you're carving hardwoods like I do. And mm -hmm. uh, that was the thing I said. No, I didn't try to offend anybody. I don't want to do that. Well, you know, it's, yeah. it's funny because when anybody tells me that you know, I have the strength or the power as a woman to do something, that just motivates me even more to do it. Well, I understand. Yeah. That. I mean, it's like somebody tells me I can't do something, too, and I'm trying right. to very well try to right. do it. You know, right. I've, I've done all kinds of little craft things. You know, I've carved shorebirds, and I've carved this, and I've carved that. But my main passion has always been this sort of thing because... I can go out in the woods where I like to go anyway, and I can find the sticks that I want to find. I'm always looking for them. I carry a, a big set of 
hedge nippers in the trunk of my car and the back of my truck. No matter where I go, I'm ready to find something. Where's the, the strangest place that you've, you've clipped off a branch? Well, I was up in the, the Upper Peninsula on a deer hunt in December a couple of years ago with a bunch of friends. And we're driving through the stream, getting back to a spot where we wanted to, uh, to uh, hunt. And it, we had to ford this little stream. Actually, it was a Huron River or a branch of it. And as I'm in the middle of this river and there's ice floating around me, I looked on the edge of this stream and there's a nice little stick that's kind of sticking out from the side that actually had a root that bent really nice and curiously underneath the bank. And I, once I got out of the water, I stopped there and left one of my partners in a truck in back of me standing in the middle of the river while I went over and cut the stick. <laughs> <laughs> so what can I say? I mean, you, you see it where you see it and you got to grab it when you can. So. But that's what I've always done. In a way, do you get worried when you teach these classes that, you know, some other person's going to come along and start making sticks? No. Why would I do that? No, but, I don't know. I mean... No, actually, uh, if somebody wants to make another stick, it's certainly not going to hurt my feelings any. That's the idea of it, is to give somebody an idea for something that they can do either now as a hobby or a business. If somebody thinks they can make a living making sticks, they're doing pretty good. I mean, I can make a little pen money doing this. No, I'm not, you know, it's not as if I'm a famous painter and get $3,000 for right. a painting. Uh, That's true. 25000 or something like that. <clears throat> Here's some other primitive ones that I made that I just made. Uh, remember this one here? See that? Yeah. Well, this had a hole in it. You could, I was smoking at the time. You could, you could uh, actually put, <laughs> blow smoke and it would come out his mouth. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> That's funny. And this one I made uh, probably oh five or six years ago, and my wife liked it so well she wouldn't let me sell it. And uh, you know, I happened to this was a root ball on the end of it. I carved this out of it. It just happened to have a hole through it and a few other things. And I thought, oh gee, I'm going to make something weird out of that. And so I did it with this big claw grasping some sort of a rock or something out there. And then the face of a yeah, it was just a plain face. Got feathers on the back, and it's got all kinds of stuff. You know, a, yeah. wood, a wood spirit. I guess. And what did you do to the top there? This I kind Textured. of uh, I carved these little chains on the top, and then I stippled this with the end of a Dremel tool. Just okay, tap, just kind of tap, 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 tap. And then when I get all done with them, I sand them good, and then I stain them dark. The so whole then, thing, totally black. Okay. And then I wipe it off real quick, and then it leaves all the dark in the pores like this, I and see. it makes it so it's well, it shows up a lot better. Then I paint them, and then I sand them some more to bring the highlights out. See, I bring the wood through the paint. Mm -hmm. So I don't want much paint on them. This one I've only used white on it, but uh, the rest of them I, I've gotten so I do, a, oh, you know, a little color in the face and the teeth and the things like that. Now, I'm noticing that they're most of the likenesses of men. Do you ever yeah. put a, a female likeness well, on Well, I've tried that, but women are hard. To, I find it difficult for me to carve something without a beard on it. <laughs> <laughs> I just haven't really gotten to doing that too much. And there might much. not be as much of a market for walking well, no, I just, women with just beards. That, uh, that women with beards would be tough. This guy's got a chin, see, but he's got a mustache that goes clear down around here. Right, right, right. And I've been working on that a little bit. I've... Are there people that know you and don't know that you do this? Oh, yeah. yeah there's people. How do people react when you tell them what you do? <laughs> what? I've got a... Uh, I just took a part-time job. I got sick of sitting around. And so I called up one of the fellows I used to sell advertising to, and I, I said, well, he said, what can I do for you? I said, I need 
a part-time job. And he says, whoa, that's cool. He says, uh, how many days do you want to work? He said, I want to work three days a week. They don't know I do any of this kind of stuff, you know, until one day I happened to be down there going to a shoot, and I had one of these things, and one of the guys that I was working with saw this. and said, oh, where'd you get that? And I said, well, I make these, you know. Oh, my gosh, the next thing you know, they were astounded to think that somebody does this kind of right, stuff, you know. Right. No, not that it's such a big deal. There's lots of people who do craft things, you know. But it gets to a point where you think, well, gee, maybe I'm not doing too bad of stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you get to get a little prouder of your work and you show it off a little bit more sometime. Right. And, you, and, you know, I mean, what can I say? It's probably an ego thing, but you get better at stuff. Right. You always right. do. You, know, if you either get better or you give it up. Right. I've gotten to the point where people like these, and I give a, I give a lot of them away. But they've been a great gift to give to people, a right. little bit of yourself, you know. And you say, gee, if good friends of mine that have gotten to be 60 or 50, I started giving them away for 50th birthdays. And I gave a lot of them away for 50th birthdays. Well, then the next thing you know, somebody's calling you and say, well, I saw that stick that you gave to Joel for his right. 50th can birthday. Can you make me one of those for my grandfather? Uh-huh. Or can you make me one of those? I got a re- my boss is retiring. And can you make one and can you put it, happy retirement bill? 1959 or 60 yeah. or something. And I've had a lot of results of that, I mean, mainly because I've given these to so many people. i still got all my fingers, but it's a wonder. Yeah. I took a church group. I gave a church group a, a wood carving class one time, and half of them ended up with bandages all over them. Oh, jeez. Yeah, Have you ever hurt yourself it. bad? Oh, not really. No, I, I've cut myself a number of times, of course, but, but no major problem. The worst thing I ever did was cut myself on a little uh, glass custard dish while my after I'd fed one of the boys when they were little, you know, right. watching it like this. Right, and, cut, and it wasn't cut a, It wasn't from the chisel. Yeah. I'm generally pretty careful with it. But I have, uh, well, I've missed something and stuck a chisel in the end of my finger. Yeah, that one. But, you know, they heal up eventually. Like, what can I say? It's just <laughs> hazards of the sport. So if you had to name this guy, what would you call him? Well, geez, naming a stick. You just don't do that. Well, he's a choir guy, you know. So like Probably ought to be Leroy. Leroy, the choir yeah. guy. Yeah, don't you think so? Yeah, all right. I know a Leroy. It's I'll go with that. One. Yeah, I think. All right. Good. Well, I really, again, I <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Ted, for sharing your story and your art with us. Really appreciate that. Check out Craft Sanity for photos of Ted's walking sticks and his contact information. So if you'd like to send him a comment or a request, you can contact him via my website. And on the website, you'll also find my instructions for making a pair of rustic knitting needles out of twigs. I find that these are much easier than making crochet hooks. I do have a sad little crochet hook around here somewhere that I'll eventually post a photo of. And I just want to say, too, that I don't knit with twig sticks very often. But it gives me comfort to know that should I get stranded out in the woods without my needles, I can fashion some out of a tree limb and knit a grass rug or something else without much trouble. These rustic needles actually look cool as a decoration. So if you make a pair, you can knit a small little swatch and leave it on the coffee table or somewhere else where it could be kind of an interactive conversation piece. So if you have friends that knit that come over they can knit a couple rows and put it back down and you know maybe you can make something out of the finished fabric someday. Um, obviously there's some serious drawbacks to knitting with needles made from twigs <laughs> because it's really hard to get 
uniformity uh, in your your stitching, um, and a gauge is a nightmare too. So it's all for fun and looks. The needles I made out of twigs I actually can use. You'll see a picture of something on the needles on the website. Next week, I'll be back with an interview with Brenda Dane, the host of Cast On, that wonderful podcast for knitters. She's on break now between her seasons. She's so smart. She gets paid to podcast. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still doing all this for free. What does that say about me? I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> Brenda is getting ready for her next season. And so if you have serious withdrawal or you miss her so much, this will be a chance for you to hear a quite lengthy interview. And now for some exciting contest news. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that we had contests coming up, and I uh, wasn't joking. On June 26, I'll be posting an interview with Gayla Trail. She's the creator of that fantastic You Grow Girl website. And it's about plants and gardening, but a lot more than just plants and gardening. It's a really great site, written in a, a way that's totally accessible you don't have to be like a master gardener to understand it. The folks at Simon & Schuster have donated a copy of Gala's awesome book that came out last year. It's called You Grow Girl, The Groundbreaking Guide to Gardening. I will be giving that away to a lucky listener who submits the coolest eco-friendly craft idea by Saturday, June 24th. The winner will be announced when I post the interview with Gala on the 26th or thereabouts. We'll see what happens in my life around that date, but that's the goal. And my hope is to be able to post some fantastic project ideas on the website. What I'm looking for, too, in case people are like, oh, geez, what is she talking about? I'm looking for submissions of project ideas that don't have to be very complicated, just simple things that we can all do to craft with either materials we already have at our house, whether it's reusing clothing, reusing things we commonly throw out, wrappers, or some people make things out of candy wrappers, and whatever the case may be. And I'm assuming that quite a few people are probably already doing these things. What I'm just trying to do is get kind of a a list going. Please keep sending those eco-friendly ideas to me. And to enter the contest, what I'm really looking for is an idea. And if it's just something that doesn't need a lot of explanation, that's fine. You know, if you just have a suggestion of what people can do or something that you're already doing. If you have something that you want to send a photo of, that's great. It's not a requirement to enter the contest. I don't want to make this into some massively complicated thing so you can't enter. I want all of, you know I want all of you to enter. I wish I had hundreds of copies of this book because I absolutely love it. I do container gardening since uh, we'll have a dog and she's pretty destructive with my garden so I've kind of stopped trying to keep her out of it. I just uh, garden in containers and I'm growing lettuce and tons of herbs on these little nifty contraptions that they go right down over your railing. I have a porch I have like six boxes out there, and they look like window boxes kind of thing, only they just rest right in the railing, and they, they're plastic, and they hang down on both sides. They just fit right over the railing. Pretty fantastic, so I can go out there and just clip off some lettuce leaves and make some salad. So I'm off on a tangent about the book, but it's a fantastic book, and I've already used a lot of Gayla's ideas this year with my garden. And so please enter. As usual, your email comments and Guest suggestions are always welcome, so you can send those to jennifer at craftsanity.com or you can leave a comment on the website, you know, whatever you're more comfortable with. As usual, I wish you all a fabulous week, and uh, don't forget to craft sanity, my friends. It only helps.
Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.